Testament of Romans. We are starting in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I imagine uh, you should just get used to being in Romans. I think we're going to be here uh, for some time. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Have you ever found a letter, uh, perhaps maybe you were going through a loved one's things, but found a letter between them and someone else, them maybe and someone else that you knew. And in reading the letter, you were able to learn something about these two people. What was important to them? What was their relationship to one another? What are the things in their life that mattered the most to them, at least at that moment? Or, or perhaps, have you ever gone back and read a letter written to you at a much earlier stage in life? The things that were important to you. It's fascinating if we were to go through history and to be able to read all manner of correspondence. You think about letters written between um, John Adams and Benjamin Franklin. What could we learn from their correspondence as they were birthing even our nation. This is what we get to do as we approach the letter to Romans. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Rome. And we get to see what are the things that are important to Paul. What are the things that are pressing at that moment? <laughs> In the letter, he will encourage them. He will teach them. So we begin this letter to Romans. And Paul, in seven verses, says, Dear Romans. <laughs> this is what we have here. He's greeting the Roman church. But he does it in a very lengthy manner. And in fact, this is the longest of all of Paul's greetings. In all of his letter, here in, the Roman, here in Romans is the longest. Well, what do we know about Romans? Just as some background, very cursory background information, uh, we know it was written by Paul. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Just through Acts and through other things, we know that it was probably most likely written at the end of his third missionary journey. Um, Probably from Corinth. He's writing from Corinth to Rome around 57 uh, AD. He, he writes to them because he has yet to visit them, but his plan is to visit them, and we will see that he actually does that soon. Uh, 
But Paul's letters in general would be confusing in a way to his audience. Even for the day, Paul's letters were ridiculously large. You simply don't see examples of letters as large as Paul's. They were also theologically complex. And so the the hearers, you can imagine as this comes to the church at Rome and they're hearing this letter read, could you imagine the first time? So you're sitting there and, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Let's sit down so we can read the letter. Now you can imagine if I said, hey, we got a letter from Grandma. Let's sit down and let's hear the letter. It might take us three, four, five minutes to read the letter. Could you imagine sitting down for the first time and it says, okay, now, of course, back then we didn't have chapter designations, but it says we're going to read Paul's letter. It is uh, roughly 16 chapters long, uh, so buckle in. (laughs) We're going to be here a while. We're going to read this letter from Paul. It was large, and not only that, you can imagine after the first hearing, they might have even been like, excuse me? There's a lot going on here. And so it would have been, it would have been very per- confusing maybe to the hearers. Even for us, there's some weird things. Notice ancient letters don't start like we do. Usually we say, dear so-and-so, uh, and in the end we say, sincerely, us. That's not how ancient letters started. They always started by saying, hey, I'm writing. So I would say, Daniel, uh, Pastor of Lakewood Presbyterian Church, to Jeff Locker, working at WKW. That's how I would have written the letter. It's different than we're used to. And so we have to begin to look at what's going on here. And so as we come to Paul's greeting, what do we see? What was important enough for Paul to put in his greeting? As he's presenting himself, note, and even think this, he's presenting himself to the Roman church for the first time. They may have heard about Paul, but he is directly approaching them now for the first time. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So we'll see these three things. First, we're going to see the call to serve. Second, we'll see the God we serve. And third and finally, we'll see the cause we serve. The call to serve, the God we serve, and the cause we serve. So Paul, as we stated, begins... By introducing himself to the Roman church. He's going to identify who his master is, what his office is, and what his purpose is. He begins by calling himself, in the ESV here, which I read, it says a servant. The word here, the Greek word, is doulos. Could also literally be translated slave. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. What an interesting way to begin a letter. Paul, a servant or slave of Christ Jesus. From the very beginning, Paul is telling the church, I am completely sold out to Jesus. I am a slave, a servant, in total devotion to him. I am at the complete and utter disposal of my Lord. He comes in a posture of humility, of devotion, 
and of obedience. He comes as a servant, a slave. Second, he says, called to be an apostle. Paul is marking himself as one of that group that is called to a certain office, the office of apostle. He was confronted by Jesus Christ himself. He was one of those that the scripture says the foundation of the church is built upon. The risen Christ has appeared to him. He has chosen him for a special task. Paul does not come as a private instructor, a private individual. He doesn't even come merely as a gifted teacher. He comes as a called apostle. He is marking himself as one with authority. Now we put those things together. He is both a servant, a slave, and an apostle. He is saying, I am one with authority, and I speak as one with authority, but it is an authority that is in complete and utter, utter subjugation to my master. He is set apart. And he gives us now, what is he set apart for? For the gospel of God. He has been set apart for the furthering, for the pro proclamation of the gospel of God. His life is in total dedication and service to proclaiming the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. And in response to this, we see obedience and we see faith and belief. Paul is declaring the message that he was given to spread to the world. And interestingly, where does he point to to verify this message? The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. From the very beginning, Paul is laying the foundation for the gospel. He points back to the prophets. He, in a way, in a very direct way, is pointing back to Zechariah to Jeremiah, to, to Isaiah, to Nehemiah, to Ezekiel, to all those who came before him. He's saying the gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. This is the one I'm serving. This is the one I'm talking about. He's beginning to establish Christ's pedigree. For Paul, Scripture is completely prophecy. It's not a new message. It's connected to all of Scripture. And so if we were to stop just for a second here, just in this first two verses, we get a lot, don't we? Paul has authority. He's the mouthpiece of God, the one who gave him that authority. 
He is establishing the fact that when he speaks, we are to listen. His audience is to listen. But not only do that, not only do we see his authority and the way we are to listen to him, but we also see the way we are to, in, I keep wanting to say intimidate, and that's not the word I'm going for, and I just can't get it. You ever have one of those moments where you just can't get the word? Yeah. Intimidate is not the word. Imitate. I just could not get past intimidate. He shows us how we are to imitate him. We are to come in the same manner that Paul comes. Paul, the servant, the apostle, the one who Jesus Christ met on the road specifically. If he comes in a posture of service and as a slave, how are we to come? We are to do the same as being those who are brought under the umbrella of the gospel. Our life is no longer our own. It belongs wholly to Jesus. And this is the wonderful message of the gospel. This is the gospel that Paul is coming to proclaim. And so he's going to begin to build upon that. There is a call here towards service, to servitude, to be a slave to Jesus. And so Paul wants to say, let me tell you exactly who that is. Let me make sure you know who I'm calling you to service to. So he begins. He's talking about the Old Testament and how the Old Testament, starting in verse 3, says things concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh. Okay. Paul is about to build a very complicated and an but knitted together argument. He begins by saying two things. He is descended from David, and this comes according to the flesh. Well, immediately, as we understand descended from David, uh, and particularly for this audience and for others, our mind goes to the promised Messiah. The Messiah who would come from the seed of David. In essence here, he says, this is the seed of David, the promised one. But then he goes on to say, he comes according to the flesh. And at this point, we might stop and scratch our heads. When we see the word flesh, particularly in the New Testament, it's not a positive thing, is it? We say, oh, well, that's fleshly desires, or we are living according to the flesh. So what does Paul mean here? When he says that David, or that Jesus, the son of David, comes according to the flesh. This is referring to the human existence of Jesus. He came as man in human flesh. And I think if Paul stops here at this point, we should be concerned. If Jesus just came according to the flesh, something is wrong here. But we see something more. And, it's an important word there, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Man, 
that is a loaded sentence. And it's not even a whole sentence. It's just a series of between two commas. He was just... He was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now, there's some interesting thing going on immediately. Say, why was he declared in power only by his resurrection? Wasn't he the God of all eternity who was already powerful? And yes, uh, that is certainly true. But it's not talking here uh, about a change in status or, or a change in being. It's a change of status that he is talking about here. He's becoming something more through the... Not something more, but his status is changing by the virtue of the resurrection. It's a change in status or function, not of essence. He's appointed on the basis of the resurrection. And so now he is the exalted Lord, the Son of God from eternity, the Son of God who has come in power, able to save those and draw near all of us to God. Notice here that standing in contrast to his coming in flesh is that he comes in a spirit of holiness. Now, one of those things when you're reading the English translation that you kind of have to just take on faith a little bit. Notice here, if you look at your Bibles, the spirit. How many of you have your spirit there capitalized? That is done very intentionally. He comes according to the spirit of holiness. He comes through the third person of the Trinity here. So he does not come merely in flesh. He also comes in spirit. Where do we see this? Mary, you are pregnant. You are with child, a fleshly child. The Holy Spirit has worked this in you. The Spirit has brought Jesus into the flesh. And yet, even as Jesus comes, and lately, you know, I've been up, I, I enjoy creating new words. He came in the flesh, but he did not come with fleshiness. He didn't come with all that sinfulness that we come with. He comes in a spirit of holiness. And as he comes, he has brought the powerful, life-giving salvation. A new age has been inaugurated. And in in a beautiful and uh, maybe somewhat complex way here, Paul is presenting for us these two ages. The age of the flesh, of sin, of death, and the age of the spirit of holiness in Jesus Christ. And how Jesus Christ is now coming and reconciling us. He has come as Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the title Lord expresses majesty. It elevates his status as master. And in him we see true righteousness. He is the son of God, the seed of David, the Messiah and the Lord. The gospel cannot be understood 
without understanding who Jesus is. And Paul, from the very beginning, is saying, let me make sure you understand who gives me authority. Let me make sure you understand who gives me authority. Because you cannot understand the gospel apart from him. Jesus has come in flesh. This is essential for us. We need who, one who is like us. But we do not need one who is exactly like us. So he comes in spirit as well. If Jesus merely came in the flesh, there's no forgiveness of sins. He comes in spirit, according to the spirit. We must know the nature of the one that we serve. He is one who is able to save. He is the one who has the authority to save. He is the one who has the power to save. This is the God that we serve. And therefore, we must serve him well. The third and final point here today is the cause that we serve. Paul has already declared that he has received from Jesus both grace and apostleship. Both grace and apostleship. And these two things go hand in hand. They reflect on each other. He is a message, excuse me, he is a messenger of the gospel of grace. And we see here as he goes through, there's really three aspects to the way in which he serves. His apostleship, his apostolic ministry, as we see in verse 5, is to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. These are two words that are inseparable. Obedience and faith. They go hand in hand. Obedience always involves faith, and faith always involves obedience. They cannot be divorced from one another. And so we have to understand this. As we come before God, He requires both faith and obedience. Faith without obedience or obedience without faith is nothing. He goes on to say, He came to. Uh, bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, Paul here says, Pantata ethne is the Greek literal for all the nations. Nations here literally is Gentiles. And when we say Gentiles, what we're talking about is non Hebrews. He came for all the nations, and it includes the Hebrews, but specifically Paul's saying here, I came for those who were not Hebrews. I am being sent for those who are not Hebrews. I have been sent to minister to the nations. In essence, Paul is saying, I have been sent here to minister to you. you I don't know if you do or do not have any uh, Jewish blood in your line, but if you do not, you are the nations. This is the reason Paul is writing to them. He is writing to them about the gospel of grace. He is in obedience to his call. He's putting forth the cause of Christ before you. 
He's to labor among the Gentiles. These things, his grace and even his apostleship, were given for the sake of Jesus' name. He comes not for personal gain, not for personal glory, not to make himself look great, but to make Jesus great. This is why Paul comes and he writes to them. Paul is showing them that they belong to something new. He says, I wrote to the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. They have a new identity. In essence, he's saying, what's not, what's of not great importance is your ethnic origin, but your spiritual origin. He's saying, it doesn't matter anymore that you are the nation's. You are now those who belong to Jesus Christ. God has powerfully and irresistibly reached out to you and he has brought you into his kingdom. You now belong to Jesus. He says you are God's chosen people. You are called by him. He calls them saints. They are chosen saints. Paul uses this term to describe the church over 38 times in all his writings. Four times in greetings such as this. He calls them saints. And it's not about their behavior. He doesn't say, y'all act very saint-like. That's not what he's saying. It's about their identity. Because the reality is this. It doesn't in a way, matter how they act, if they are in Jesus, they are saints. Now, we see faith and obedience go hand in hand. I've already said that. They are those who are being sanctified. And this is being done through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has been applied to them through the spirit of holiness, the spirit of God, And Jesus is at the heart of all of it. The promised Messiah, the seed of David, the son of God. He is Lord. And so Paul begins by focusing on the activity and the ministry of Jesus Christ. His exaltation through the resurrection as Lord of all. His power as son of God. Jesus is vital to salvation and to Christian living. He is vital. He is of the greatest importance. And so Paul puts him forth here immediately as the most important thing. It boils down to this. The cause that Paul serves, the cause that we serve is nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a very great thing because we now have a new identity. We are called to love one another. We are called to saints, to be saints. We're called to live in a different fashion than the rest of the world. He has come to you, the nations, 
and he has come in love. Paul here doesn't make the application. Now, how will you respond? He certainly will. But I believe the application is set there before us, isn't it? Paul, by his addressing us, the way he has addressed us, has called a, caused us to ask a question. Is he talking to us? Are we saints? Are we called to belong to Jesus Christ? Are you called to belong to Jesus Christ? Because if you are, that has great implications. It has a very great implication because your Savior came in both flesh and spirit and he rose again for you. Paul, interestingly here, doesn't talk about the crucifixion, does he? But he does talk about the resurrection. The resurrection can't happen without the crucifixion. And so we're left with a question. Loved ones called by God to be saints. How are you responding? Are you responding in faith and obedience, in service to your God? Paul is setting up here for us the basis for the whole letter. And he's going to go on and he is going to talk about aspects of the gospel. He's going to talk about our faith and what it looks like. But he's establishing for us immediately who and what we are. If you have surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ, or let me say it this way. Have you really surrendered yourself as a slave to Jesus Christ? Have you really? Now, when I say this, I'm not questioning your faith. I'm not calling you to say, am I actually a son of Jesus Christ or a daughter of Jesus Christ? Maybe that ends up being the implication. But what I'm asking you is this. If you are called out as loved ones of God, then have you actually surrendered yourself to the complete and utter service of that God? The one who has saved you. Paul's going to go on here, and we probably won't see it next week, but we'll see it the following week in verse 16. And he says this. This is a verse that I know you've heard. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Do we live as those who are ashamed of the gospel, who are ashamed of our identity, I think in a real practical sense, we can say, well, no, of course not. And in a practical sense, I think you, you would be right. But I think there's a greater sense where the rubber meets the road, where we're called to prioritize our life and our choices 
for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where we're called to live a certain way, both for ourselves and for his kingdom. And I think sadly, and I say this for me as well, that there are far too many times that I live as one who is ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not through my words, not even necessarily through my actions, but through my inactions. The things that I don't do, the things that I fail to do, the things that I make excuses for. And if you're anything like me, which I'm sure you are, the same is true for each of us. We have to be reminded of who our God is, what our relationship and status is before him. Because it's a wonderful and beautiful thing here that Paul's talking about. When he calls himself a slave, a servant, he's saying, I am completely and wholly surrendering myself to the work and labor of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will stand before that. And it's beautiful because Paul then gets to freely go forth and be the wretched man that he is. Which he's going to say. Here in Romans, he'll say, I do the things I don't want to do. And I don't do the things I want to do. That's what Paul says. That's us, right? That's, that's me. But we always have to remember who is the one who has called us, who has loved us, who has given us the title as saints. Let us come before him. Let us surrender to him and let us respond in faith and obedience. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. Even as Paul has come in this lengthy greeting and given us a great treatise of the faith, we pray that, that its truth would resonate in our hearts and minds that we would surrender ourselves to the service of our God for the glory of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand now.